Romans 5, verses 6 to 11. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's God's word. Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be together on this day, and uh, it is Anzac Day, so it makes it a little bit unusual when it's on the Sunday, and we we gather in Jesus' name to worship Jesus, but we also uh, have remembered and honoured those who have served our nation in various battles, and many have lost their lives in that process, and many have been greatly impacted uh, when they returned home. Often young men and women who sacrificed their lives for the peace and stability of our nation and our world. One such person uh, you'll probably heard of was uh, John Simpson Kirkpatrick. Uh, You may have heard of Simpson and his donkey. And uh, John Simpson Kirkpatrick was born in Britain and later moved to Australia. In August 1914, he enlisted in the Australian Imperial Force, serving at Gallipoli the following year. And he served in the Third Field Ambulance, Australian Army Medical Corps. He served from the time of the landing in Gallipoli on the 25th of April until he was killed in action on the 19th of May. Simpson became famous because he was, uh, or for his work, as a stretcher bearer. And so using one of the donkeys that had been brought to carry water, he would transport wounded men day and night, from fighting in Manosh Valley to the beach on Anzac Cove. And one person said, as he did this, as he carried people who were wounded, people would uh, be shooting at him down the valley with the most furious shrapnel fire. And he was killed by machine gun fire while carrying two wounded men and was buried on the beach at Hellspit. You can read about that story at the Australian War Memorial. And one person said about him, said, the excellence of the work performed by Private Simpson continuously since landing. He was a man who saw a need and ultimately gave his life for others. And rightly so, we honor such men and women who sacrificed their lives for the good of others. Now, in John 15, Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So the whole idea that we lay down our life for others uh, is taught to us by Jesus and is commended as a great thing. Because when we lay down our lives for our friends, he says here, it's like Jesus laying down his life for us. And Jesus was pointing forward at this stage to his coming cross where he would prove his love. I love the words of uh, the late Billy Graham. He said about the cross, God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. 
sacrifice like that, which is much more profound than any human sacrifice, was God saying to the world and saying to you, whether you're in this meeting today or watching a live stream, that you are deeply loved by the God of the universe. Not a distant God, but a God who's close, a God who loves you. And we are called to imitate Jesus in laying down our lives for each other. And we need to realize that true love is costly. I don't know about you, whenever I hear the last post and I, and I think of those who have gone, I can't imagine myself ever being in that situation. Uh, I moved uh, emotionally, sometimes to tears, when you realize what has taken place in the world, what continues to take place in the world. And Jesus calls us to lay down our lives, here for his friends, but what we're going to notice today, that Jesus goes far further than that, because he gives his life for his enemies, not his friends. And he, comes to, he dies to save us, not from human enemies, but to save us from the consequences of sin and rebellion toward God. And therefore, whoever you are and whatever you've done, the cross says you are deeply loved by God and forgiveness and new life is possible today because of that great loving sacrifice. And we see this great truth in Romans chapter 5. And the first thing you'll notice in Romans chapter 5, I want to take you to is verse 7, where Paul, the Apostle Paul admits that a person might die for a friend. A person might die for a friend. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. So often we still don't want to give up our lives for others, even a good person, though for a good man or a righteous person, someone might possibly dare to die. I don't know about you, but uh, I wish if I had a choice to give my life for the good or for the saving of someone else's life, that I would be courageous enough to take the bullets. I would hope that I'd be courageous enough to take the hit by the car to save someone else. What about you? I'm not sure I'm that courageous. I wonder whether I'm too selfish sometimes. But Paul says, but we'll often do that, and we have story after story of that. For example, let me take you to uh, France. In 2018, there were tributes that came forward for a French police officer. And he died saving the lives of hostages in a supermarket siege by an Islamist gunman. And uh, Officer Beltram, who was 44, only 44, was shot and stabbed after he traded places with one of the captives following the shooting spree. His brother said he didn't have a chance. He went beyond the call of duty. He gave his life for strangers. He must have known that he didn't really have a chance. If that doesn't make him a hero, I don't know what would. The president, Macron, the French president said, he fell as a hero. Exceptional courage and selflessness. He deserved the respect and admiration of the whole nation. The UK Prime Minister, Theresa May, said, sacrifice and courage was epitomized in this man. And his death helped to bring the siege to an end, left others dead. And then let me take you to World War II on Anzac Day. It's an amazing story. I only heard about this this week. It's 1943. There are 903 troops and four chaplains who board the SSS uh, Dorchester that you have a photograph of there. And the World War II was in full swing and the ship was headed across the icy North Atlantic where the German U-boats lurked. On the morning of February the 3rd, 
a German to- torpedo ripped the ship, ripped into the ship, and she's going down, the men cried. They're scrambling for lifeboats. The ship was going down. And a young GI crept up to one of the chaplains and he said, I've lost my life jacket. And the chaplain said, take this, take mine. Before the ship sank, each chaplain gave his life jacket to another man, sacrificing their life for others. The heroic chaplains then linked arms, lifted their voices in prayer as the Dorchester went down. And they were awarded posthumously the Distinguished Service Cross. They're story upon story, aren't they? And I think that's what Paul is getting at. Even uh, um, unbelievers and non-Christians and all cultures, you'll often give your life for someone that you care about, someone you love. Selfless acts of courage. And yet, friends, what we have when we go to Jesus is that he died for his enemies. You see in verse 6 it says, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Get that? The ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does he mean, the ungodly and the sinners? They're the ones who raise their fist at God and say, God, I'm going to do things my way. God, I'm not going to listen to you. God, I'm going to run my life. It's my life. I have it. Stay out of my life. It's ignoring God. It's resisting God. It's breaking God's commandments. It's a rebellion against God. I want to say to you this morning that our rebellion may be active. By that, I mean someone who says, I don't believe in God. That's a fairy story. In fact, I hate religion. It destroys people's lives. I'm glad I used to go to church. I got out of church now. I'm trying to convince all my friends to get out of church. Every so often you're reading in the newspapers, former Christians now leaving the faith. And another one here, and a worship leader leaves the faith. And another leading teacher leaves the faith. And they're then trying to convince you that Jesus is bad. Right? It's active rebellion. Maybe you're not like that, right? Not many of us are actively, angrily fighting God. But our rebellion may be passive. That means... I think like most Australians, we ignore God, we don't take him seriously. Oh, religious people, you go to church, oh, it's interesting, people still go to church. I met someone yesterday at an engagement party, and they talked about how we had six full-time staff, and she went, what? And uh, talked about the number of people who come to church, and kids' ministry, and youth, and people coming to Jesus. And she was fascinated. She just said to me, she said, tell me why that is. I live in an area, and no one goes to church, there's no volunteers, there's no staff, there's nothing. What happens? And it's interesting when people's eyes start to open. And she, like others, we just have a passive rejection of God. We're just like any ordinary Aussie, <coughs> excuse me, on Anzac Day. Yeah, we're just good Aussies. We'll have a few drinks. We'll remember the fallen. Um, we'll go and work hard. But God is not in the picture. See, unlike some people I know, uh, I grew up as a moral, obedient child. I was the best teenager, I'll tell you compared to my friends. I was a high achiever at school and at sport. I I never did drugs, was not sexually immoral. I never joined a gang and I spent no time in prison. I'm sorry, I got no testimony to tell you. No big one like that. But you see, when I started to read the Bible as a 14-year-old in a school classroom, and although I was religious, I knew about God, I never knew God personally, as I started to read the Bible, I realized that I too was a sinner and I needed a saviour. 
And I started to look into my heart and I, and I realized in different areas I was disobeying God. In different areas I was thinking more of myself than God and of others. In fact, I was a sinner and I needed a saviour, someone who would die on the cross for me. See, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Those who rebel actively, those who re rebel passively, we are, what does he say, ungodly, we are sinners, and Christ died for us. Friends, that is great news, isn't it? We all fall short. Even though we may not detonate bombs, we may not deal in drugs, we might not act violently, but we do sin. We fail to live that perfect life God has called us to. And the wages of sin, the Bible says in Romans 6.23, is death. And without Christ, we face a death and eternal judgment separated from God forever. But you see, in verse 6, at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. It's an act of grace. Whenever you think about people sacrificing their lives on Anzac Day, don't just stop there. Go to the cross where God says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When the Son dies in your place. You know, because... He died for his enemies, but he also died to save us from our sins. And this is connected here. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So not, someone said, what's the point of Jesus dying? Why doesn't, doesn't God just forgive us? Well, because we are sinners and sin deserves punishment. And so Jesus steps in our place on the cross to die for us. Anyway, Jesus said those powerful words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Emma, lama sabachthani. He's on the cross. He knows why he's dying, but he's saying at that moment, the Father turns his face away, pronounces judgment on Jesus for your sins and for mine. The greatest act of sacrifice in human history took place at that moment. See, being a good person won't save you. Serving the Australian military won't save you. But trusting Jesus and his finished work on the cross will save you. And as a result of that, Christ has brought us peace with God and eternal security. He goes on in verse 9, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And this is the great news if you're trusting in Jesus. If we have been justified, that means we are declared right with God. Because Jesus died for us, we are declared right with God. No longer guilty, but innocent. It's a beautiful word. We are justified by his blood. That's a reference to his death on the cross. It's not our good works. It's his blood, the death of Jesus that saves us. It's all grace. And once you put your confidence in him, once you are justified, how much more, in other words, how much more certain it is that you'll escape the final judgment? And the, and the wrath of God on that final judgment. It's only a couple of years ago now that uh, Dr. Billy Graham passed away, the great evangelist who preached around the globe. And you'll remember these words that he, he said, uh, uh, and that was quoted at his funeral. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address I will have gone into the presence of God. How true that is. Justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? When Jesus said in John 14 that I'm going to heaven and going to prepare a place for you, how comforting that truth is. 
You know, over the past year, like every year, we've lost some deeply faithful members of our church. Men and women who have trusted in Jesus and lived for the glory of Jesus. And yet they face death with courage and with confidence. Not because of their goodness, not because of their military service, not because of their work in a community, but because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Now, Keith Lawton, how appropriate that a digger goes to glory the day before Anzac Day. And some of you don't know Keith, but uh, he would just live down the street. He would often come to church when he was well enough. He would be the first person in the car park. He'd get a good parking spot so that he could get in here and he, into the church. But he, he struggled out for a while. He said, I, mean, I can't come down. He's had various illnesses. He's lost his wife a number of years ago as well. It's getting older. Someone asked the other day, what was he, about 84? No, not 84. The guy's almost 98, right? And he'd go to coffee. I still remember him. He'd go and have a coffee at the coffee shop on Broad Arrow Road and Mercury Street. All the time, we, some of us ran into him there all the time. And I'd visit him and talk about how he loves the church here, loves Jesus. He just wants to be here. Some of the men would go and visit him and take him out. And his health, health deteriorated. His son's a believer, Bruce. And, you know, we've just uh, visited. David's been visiting. I've been visiting. Others have been visiting. He was ready to meet his Savior. And when I think about him going to meet his Savior, and I know he's, he served in the war, and with all the difficulties that come with that, yet he put his faith in the Lord Jesus, safe and secure in Christ. There's another young woman, uh, or two young women I heard about a number of years ago that I, I was so moved by the story that I just cut off the newspaper article, because, uh, and I, I've just kept it in my file. Two teenage girls, Carrie and Caitlin, they're at Hornsby Heights on a campsite. I don't know if it was a girls' brigade or something like that event, a girl guides, something. They were camping under some trees, and as the storm hit, and the tree that they were camped under collapsed, fell on them, and they both passed away. Just a devastating story. It's amazing that they quoted in, at the service that Kari, Kari Yu had written in her diary just 10 days earlier, Lord, thank you that my time on earth is running short so that I can go to be with you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity on earth to serve you. Thank you that to live is Christ, to die is gain. The confidence of a, I think, a 15-year-old. Faith in Jesus. Now, I'm not sure that she knew it was going to be so soon. But in one sense, our lives are short, aren't they? Every moment we have, every breath we take is by the grace of God. And we ought to use our lives for the glory of God. Here was this young woman, ready to meet her safe, secure because of Jesus. And Romans 5 then says, for if you, if when we were God's enemies, remember, that's what we used to be, we're reconciled to him through the death of his son, we were enemies, now we're reconciled, we're now friends of God, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? In other words, your eternal destiny is secure upon secure upon secure. That's what he's saying. Justified, reconciled. How much more then? You can't be lost. You know where you're going. 
ultimate peace. And when we thank God for those who have served in battles to create peace in our world. But this peace is short-lived. Listen carefully, this peace is short-lived. There was World War I, and there was World War II, and there was a Korean War, and the Vietnam War, and the Iraq War, and the Afghanistan War that continues. Not to mention the numerous wars and conflicts, and military coups, and Middle Eastern conflicts, and terrorism, and tribal and civil wars in nations. Just when we think we've got some peace, there's another war. There's another battle. There's another killing. Peace in our world is short-lived. Peace is temporary. Let me take you back to 1914. I have a photo there of some people playing football. Best sport in the world. But it was Christmas 1914. The Pope had asked the conflicting armies, the Allies and the Germans, to stop fighting over Christmas. They said, would you have a time of ceasing hostilities? Stop fighting. And the warring nations didn't agree with the Pope. They said, no, we can't do that. We're in the middle of a war. But the soldiers had other ideas. So starting on Christmas Eve, many German and British troops fighting in World War I sang Christmas carols to each other across the lines. At one point, they were shooting each other. Now they've all stopped. There's something in the message of Jesus that forces them to stop. They start singing, and they can hear some brass bands on the other side, I'm told. At first light of dawn on Christmas Day, some German soldiers emerged from their trenches, and they got out and they approached the Allied lines across what was called no man's land. They're calling out, Merry Christmas, in the enemy's native tongues. Now, in a sense, it's a call, let's not kill each other for a moment. Let's just stop. At first, the Allied soldiers are thinking, hold on, is this a trick? The Germans are up to something. And then they realized they were unarmed. And that was pretty courageous, to step up unarmed. So then the uh, Allied soldiers, they got up and they started to, to walk across. And, and in the middle, they exchanged cigarettes and plum puddings and sang carols and songs. One of the strangest events in human history, right? In a war. Some Germans were told lit Christmas trees around their trenches. And there was even a documented case of soldiers on the opposing sides having a good-natured game of football. And one the lieutenant said, a German lieutenant said, how marvellously wonderful and how strange it was. The English officers felt the same about it. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. The power of the gospel. And yet... The peace was short-lived. The war soon continued. 20 million deaths, 9.7 million military personnel, 10 million civilians, 21 million others were wounded, some seriously, in that war. They stopped, and then they killed each other. My friends, God's peace is enduring. It's eternal and because of this peace, Christians should be the happiest and most joyful people alive. He says, we boast in the Lord, we rejoice in the Lord. There's be something about knowing Jesus that releases you to love people, to serve people, to speak positively about life. Not that we don't get upset and depressed from time to time, but there's, there's this life that Jesus gives that no one else can give. And as I conclude, I need to remind you that our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ, brings ultimate peace. 
Not earthly peace between nations, but peace between God and men and women. He turns angry sinners and rebels, active rebels and uh, passive rebels into his kingdom. I was one of those passive rebels who came into the kingdom. But a few years ago, there was a pastor at this church, Nathan Durs. You know Nathan? Some of you are new, don't know him. Big boy, strong, footballer. You didn't want to meet him in a dark alley. He's now serving at Orange Baptist. But he shared his testimony once or twice. And I remember when he said, you know, I was an angry and selfish young man. My wife was about to leave him. My marriage was almost over. And Karen, his wife, in desperation, turned up to a church at Karen Baptist. She'd been to a funeral and she saw people as loving and welcoming and friendly. So she went back. She met Christians. She went, well, I, have, I need whatever they have, right? So she turned up to church. And she said, I sat in church, Karen said, I just wept as they taught, as they sang, and as they prayed. I said, I just, it's an emotional response, like God was present. And she kept going back every week. She said, I loved it. Gave her life to Christ. And Nathan says, and I was worried about her. I thought, why is she going to church all the time? She stays up all night. They have these suppers and all these type. She must be in a relationship. She must have found some guy down there. I'm going to go and find this guy and take him out. Right? And if Nathan comes in your direction, you better run. Right? So he said, I got courageous. I turned up to church one night. I'm looking around. Who's she hanging out with? He says, I was upset. I was angry. My life was a mess. My marriage was almost over. And I think he said one of the first times they took a church photograph, all the crowd. He said, everyone down the front, let's take a photo. I'm not coming down there with... I'm not part of this. But he went and he heard the gospel. And heard that there was a God who loved him. A God who sent his son to die on a cross, who sacrificed his life for him. And said, God just worked in my heart. I went from this angry man to a follower of the Lord Jesus. Within a few years, he went to Bible college at Moreland College, trained. And then he joined us and served here for four years. And has been at Orange out there. He joined the Christian Motorcycle Club as well. Of course he did. With all the boys and their bikes. God can take passive rebels like me or active rebels like Nathan and transform us for his glory. As the late Billy Graham said, if you want to know whether God loves you, God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. And then Jesus calls his disciples to love like that. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friend. Can I encourage you on this Anzac Day to look again at Jesus? In this auditorium of life, to look again at Jesus. Come to him. Receive him. Trust him. Live for him. And may God do a beautiful work in your life for his glory. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for this beautiful love that's demonstrated in the death of Christ our Saviour. On this Anzac Day, we remember our Saviour. As we remember those who've given their lives, Lord, we remember the ultimate sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that he turns sinners into friends, enemies into, the fam into family. And Lord, I pray for each person who's gathered here today or watching on live stream, or those who will watch this later, Lord, please... Encourage them to know you, to love you, to trust in you. 
the wonderful forgiveness and peace and eternal security that only you can bring is available for all who believe in you. We thank you, God, for the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.